What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Self-Helpless Podcast. I'm Kelsey Cook. I'm Delaney Fisher. And today we have such a fantastic guest on, you guys. We have on Aparna Nanchurla, and she did an incredible interview with us all about her new book called Unreliable Narrator. So, yeah, we we just loved talking to her so much. Um, If you don't know Aparna, she is such an established comedian, actor, and writer. Um, Her writing has appeared on Late Night with Seth Meyers, Broad City, Ghostbusters. Um, She has been featured on Two Dope Queens, Late Show with Stephen Colbert and Conan. And she can currently be seen in Peacock's Lopez vs. Lopez and the latest season of HBO Max's Search Party and Netflix's Space Force. I mean... Yeah, Comedy Central, all the things. Netflix. (laughs) I mean, she is everywhere. Like, it's so amazing how uh, just how incredible her career is. So and then her her book of personal essays called Unreliable Narrator comes out tomorrow, September 19th. So, yeah, it is um, a hilarious and introspective collection of essays by Aparna exploring her life as a shy comedian, battling depression, anxiety, and self-doubt. And she opened up to us about all of those things and more in our interview. So uh, yeah, we we hope you guys enjoy the interview with her. Before we get into it, just a few things to plug. So this is coming out on September 18th. So I am going to be in Louisville, Kentucky at the end of this month, September 28th through the 30th. Then in in October, I will be in Spokane and Cleveland. In November, I will be in Grand Rapids, D.C., Nashville, Huntsville, and Atlanta. And then in December, I will be in Boston and Tampa. So if you are in any of those cities or nearby, go to KelseyCook.com, get a tour date ticket. Pretty please. Yes. And you can tune into uh, my other podcast, Career Crush, at DelaneyFisher.com. It's currently a private show, but it's completely free. And we just talk about um, how to find the career path that's going to make you feel, you know, the most happy, fulfilled, purposeful, all that good stuff. I, what I'm loving right now about the people I'm interviewing is so many of these people have never, ever done a podcast before. So they are actually exclusive interviews. Like they're not talking wow, about yeah. their career or their experiences anywhere else. They're not hitting the podcast circuit. They're just <laughs> like, I live on a boat and this is my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm just really, really uh, enjoying hearing everybody's perspectives on what makes them happy, whether it's a really kind of out there career path or something more conventional, but they're doing something on the side that makes them really you know feel good so head on over to delaneyfisher.com if you want to tune in and be a part of that community over there really fun that's so cool i love that you're yes. doing that thank you i love it it's so much i just want to do it i still kind of all i want to do is like podcast this podcast and that podcast yeah and I, i'm hoping i'm hoping i can just like do that for a while yeah and not really have to worry about other things yeah it's yeah it sounds like you're 
your other podcast, a lot of the concept is like finding happiness, which is totally, it's really totally cool. Really cool. Mm-hmm. With, and it's like the, the career part is like a tool for that, but it's also like, you know, what you yeah. do when you're, you're outside of your job. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's fun. Well, I'm very happy for you. And right back at you, babe. Thank you. Okay, without further ado, here is our interview with Aparna. Aparna, thank you so much for being here today. We are so excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me on. Yes. So before we get into all the juice and imposter syndrome and all that good stuff, do you have a favorite or least favorite quote? Okay, so I was told to bring a favorite or least favorite quote, and I would consider myself what you might call a quote fiend. I love a good quote. I Same. I think you're we're in the, right on the same page. Okay, <laughs> yes. so I I was kind of stressed to think of my favorite quote. So I'm yes. I brought with you my most recent favorite quote. I love it. Okay. Okay. Great. Um. So this comes from Hanif Abdurraqib, who's like a poet amazing writer based out of Ohio. And I was reading an interview with him and he, okay, this is the quote. He says, my superpower is that I mind my own business. And I actually think that helps my productivity more than anything. And yeah. And I sort of took it to mean, cause I kind of, of course was like, what do I think that means to me? And I think for me, it was kind of like not worrying about what other people are doing, kind of just looking, you know, eyes on your own paper and that, but just the way he put it felt a lot more eloquent than I had seen it. Before. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. like not compare, not the not the comparison trap, right? Of yeah, like, oh, yeah. you're doing this, and I'm I'm not as good as this, or what am I doing? Yeah, that's that's such a good one. We have done full episodes on quotes that we love, so yes, I'm glad, yes. That, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you know it makes sense. It was hard for you to pick your favorite because that's how yes. I feel too. Yeah, that's my only New Year's resolution, I told myself, just make one so you can try to actually stick to it this time, is yes. just to care less what people think of me. Not, not even to like not care, because I know for me that's probably asking too much, but right. just to care less what people think of me. And I love how your quote talks about that it feels like he's more productive that way, because I do think if you can just put it aside a little bit, caring what people think of you, you do get more done. Yeah, that's the thing. Like minding one's own business, I feel like there's sort of a wide interpretation of what that could mean. Because it's mm-hmm. also like we're not worrying about what other other people are doing, not worrying what other people are thinking about you or saying about you. Yeah, yeah, it works. Love it. Yeah, love it. awesome. Um, so, congrats on your book, by the way. Thank that's you very so much. exciting. So yeah, cool. Um, imposter syndrome is a big theme in the book. I yes. would love to know. What is like your first memory of experiencing imposter syndrome, if you have one? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I can't think of a memory from my childhood where I didn't feel maybe like I didn't fit in or I somehow like didn't get the memo that everyone else got or just like I, I constantly feel like I've always approached the world as though I'm like catching up to everyone else. Like when you are out sick from school and then you come back and you're like, wait, what are, what are we doing? Like this unit or like, what are people wearing now? Like, I always (laughs) feel like I've been trying to like figure it out after everyone else did. So I think, yeah, I don't even know if I have like a one specific memory, but just like several memories of like, like, I don't know, like I went to a private school in elementary school and I remember like all the cool girls like we would have we would usually wear uniforms and then occasionally we would get like free dress day where you got to wear whatever you wanted and then that would be like a whole stressful thing of deciding what you were going to wear that day but then I remember like all the cool girls coordinated their outfits and I was just how did you know to even you know operate this way it's so advanced oh. yeah That is so fascinating to me because I remember being a kid, I felt like I didn't really have imposter syndrome and then Mm. it it became unbearable as an adult. Yeah. It's almost like I felt like things as a kid felt more measurable to me in a way where it's like, if I won an award for something, it was because I really did get the best grades on that thing. Or I I hit the most home runs. It was like this measurable thing. Yes. And then I feel like as as I got older, when things felt more arbitrary or less measurable, it was like... I, I had a really hard time with that. And I felt like I didn't deserve things. I felt guilty, all of that stuff. So thank you for sharing that. That's such an interesting 
perspective. Yeah. How you kind of felt that way. I mean, it's in writing the book. I actually talked to you know a couple of friends. Like I just sent out like an informal survey of just like how it had show imposter syndrome has shown up in their life, and it did feel like that's pretty common. That like when it first came up for people was like early on in their careers where they feel like they haven't quite like you know figured out what they're doing or like have enough experience to back themselves up. So I think that is like did seem to be the most frequent place like early adulthood when it first like really comes up strong yeah yeah that's so interesting so interesting so this is your first book correct yes yes i'm curious what was one of the biggest challenges for you just in writing it did you find that you were feeling imposter syndrome even in <laughs> creating yeah. it or like do you have an easy time focusing we talk a lot on the show about stuff with ADHD and any ways that we can find to tap into focus if we're having a hard time did you struggle with stuff like that yeah I mean I I so relate to people of ADHD and I'm like I feel like I have it but I don't think I have it I think I have anxiety induced like lack of focus where it's just like it's all like brought to you by anxiety. So sponsored by anxiety. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm a huge procrastinator and like, it, it is like exactly what you're saying, Kelsey, where it's like writing a book about self-doubt. You're just like, what have I done? Like I've picked the topic that's like the most impossible to be like, okay, so I'm just going to bring up every insecurity I've ever had and then be yeah. like, and put it on paper. That's so easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So everyone told me like writing a book is going to be really hard, but I think I just like added a level of difficulty yeah, on yeah. myself by being like okay and I'm gonna write because I was sort of like okay I'm gonna write this book about imposter syndrome and then and then it will be cured because I'll have figured it out by the end and of course that's like never what happens when you do right. anything creative you know you're just like oh this is totally different from how I imagined in my head yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah yes. and your book also talks about your love-hate relationship with stand-up comedy Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. here on self-helpless we are kind of a combination of those two things because um, yeah. when we started the show six years ago Delaney and I both did stand up and then how many years ago was it Del that you stepped away I don't know I think I feel like it's five almost or over five years now I can't remember yeah. so Delaney oh, stepped away from it and it's right. like now my um you know full-time job and everything yeah. like that but what has your experience been with stand-up and and what are the love-hate aspects yeah. yeah. So I, um, let's see, I am coming off a pretty long break. Like I, I guess I started stand up in like 2006, like really pursuing it regularly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've been doing it for over a decade. And then when I was writing this book, uh, I just realized I couldn't like write this book and do stand up at the same time. Like there was something about like mining all this personal information and like feeling very raw all the time. And like, obviously when you're writing a book, you don't have that instant gratification you have with stand-up where you're like, here's my idea. And now I immediately know how these people feel about it. So yeah. I think that, I think it was like too confusing for my brain to like be going on stage in this sort of raw, raw, like state of mind. And then, you know, having a weird set and then not like taking it too personally, like more so than I oh. probably would have before. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to step away, focus on one thing at one time. And weirdly, like taking a break from stand up honestly feels like it was probably the best thing I've done as a stand up, like for myself, because it just felt like it was a way to reset my brain and like reset, like why I do it in the first place and like what I get out of it. Like the easiest way to really get that perspective was to step away from it. And that was so hard for me because I think uh, you guys probably know, like when you're a stand up, you like eat you know, eat, drink, breathe, sleep, stand up. And it's like really hard to kind of see outside of that tunnel vision sometimes and realize you're like a full person outside of comedy. Yeah. I think there's a lot yeah, of shame definitely. in the stand up comedy business too, that if you aren't eating, sleeping, drinking sure. stand up, that yeah. you're not cut out for it or you're not working hard enough. And I find that when oh. I'm in that mode of like, it's the only thing I'm doing, I'm not as 
creative. Like I have to go right. live to have experiences to write about, but there is a lot of shame in it. I, I'm always comparing myself to other people's like yeah. of content they're creating. So I think, yeah. So I think it's only been like later, like as I've gotten older that I'm like, oh, it's okay. Like if I do stand up and my way of doing it or like my model of how it shows up in my life doesn't match up with like, you know, like this guy next to me or this woman or yeah, this person, like I, like there's no, it's supposed to be an art form that, you know, brings in like different sorts of thoughts and experiences. So like, why should your way of doing it have to look like everyone else's? Yeah. Yeah. I I felt so much shame and I just felt so bad when I left because I felt like that lifestyle just didn't make me happy. Like I wouldn't be able to come home to the same bed every night. And I I don't like being out at night. I don't really like traveling. It just, but I, but I love comedy and so many aspects of it, but I almost felt like, Oh, I, I just can't hack it. You know, like it, that, that, that's what it felt like. Did, do you like the touring lifestyle? Does that excite you? Does that feel sustainable for you? Or have you kind of, what's your relationship with that specifically? I've, I am not built for the road. Like I will go out. <laughs> yeah. I will go out in like concentrated amounts. Like I'm doing some tour dates around this book and you know, my agent was just like, you, you're gone for a week and then I'll get you right back in your little home. You know, like, <laughs> I, like, I'm just like, so yeah, I think I'm just like not built for that sort of, I don't know when you're younger, it, you know, there is sort of this novelty to it. You're like, Oh my God, I'm in a hotel room. Like I'm here to like, I'm <laughs> yeah. here in like Portland or whatever. And people are going to pay to see me. But then, yeah, as I've gotten older, I'm just like, I think I like like my routine and I like, like I'm, I'm like a cat, like I'm very attached to my sense of place. So, <laughs> so I think I'm yeah. like trying to figure out a way to do stand up that kind of works with those needs. And I've been lucky in that I've had like opportunities in like voiceover, or, like other stuff where I where I don't have to like solely rely on it for my whole income because I know sometimes it's not a choice necessarily. You're just like trying to pay rent, right? Yeah, yeah. and. And was that intentional for you? Like when you felt like, okay, stand up doesn't feel sustainable, that lifestyle, like all, all the time. Did you try to get into these, this other scope of stuff under, under the comedy umbrella, or did they kind of come up organically? I would say a combination of both. I mean, I think that's the thing with like acting and writing, like there is so much, and even stand up, like there is, you, you can be doing all the things and like showing up and being diligent and have your head in the game. And it's still like, sometimes comes down to luck and timing. And I feel like I've, you know, been lucky to get, you know, like the, I got a voiceover job on like BoJack Horseman early on. And I feel like that ended up being like a show that was on a lot of people's radar. So then that kind of helped open up other voiceover opportunities. So I think there is things with like acting and, and stand up opportunities and um, writing where it feels I feel like when you're on the outside of it or before you've gotten your first big break, it just seems so impossible. And it seems like the people who are doing well, just like new, you know, it's like that same feeling of when you were, when I was in elementary school, like they just somehow knew the steps to take to get where they are. But it is, I think it is important to remember there is still like luck involved and like things that are a little bit outside our control. And it's like, okay, to not always be like, well, if I had just worked harder, I would be here. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, were there any essays in your book that you were hesitant hesitant to include or almost didn't include? Yeah, I um like there's stuff around sexuality. Like I don't really talk a lot about yeah, like my sex life or like romantic stuff on stage. So I think there was stuff just around how, you know, I'm not like a super sexual person and it it does feel like a kind of realm of like you know asexuality is like a spectrum as well and and sometimes just like my ambivalence towards sex like I don't know like where the room is in the conversation for that because I I feel like especially as a woman sometimes that gets like put into like maybe you haven't experienced real pleasure you know versus like that's like actually just how you're built or your preference yeah yeah As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
was there anything that was very helpful for the book writing process? Like, was there a, was there a time where you're like, I really feel like I'm in the flow state and, and whatever mindset you were able to get into helped bring this out of you or any other tools that may have helped? Yeah. I, I'm someone who has to kind of trick myself into working. Cause I have such a love hate relationship with work where I'm like, you know, I like really like structure, but then if you like are like, okay, show up here at 8am. I'm like, who are you? Like, don't tell me what to do. You know, like, it's like, what do I want? What do I actually want here? But yeah. I, so I, I would have to do things where I'd be like, okay, like, just sit down and just like open up the document and just like look over your stuff. You don't even need to like, you don't have to commit to a certain amount of time. And it's just like, just starting is so big for me. It's just like that hurdle between being like, oh, I should work on this versus actually working on it. For some reason, it just feels like impossible every time. So it would just be like different ways of, of getting myself to just like open it up and start. Yeah. Have you heard of the Pomodoro technique? I have, but I've never tried it. I don't, I guess I've heard of it, but I haven't like explored it more than that. That's the, <laughs> the only thing in the past year that I've found to be a consistent way to yeah. trick myself into starting. Cause I agree. It's the same for me. It's like, just once I can start, then it's fine. Yeah. But it's just getting there. And yeah, I would be curious how you feel about, about it. If you try it, it's just starting that timer for 25 okay. minutes. There's something about seeing a clock going down that yeah. just works in some competitive way in my mind I don't know, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know why but I just feel like oh shit, I have to go now I don't know no that's true because yeah. I do feel like sometimes before a stand-up show I'll be in that sort of like panic state of where you're a little bit like okay what am I doing what what do I want to yeah. try and stuff and and I'll find myself like coming up with ideas in that frame of mind so I'm always like how can I you, you know recreate this sense of urgency when I don't have a show yeah. yeah. It's yeah. almost like you have to make a part of your brain kind of dumb for a second yeah. to like yeah. trick it into thinking that this is a, a significant countdown, even though it's yes. not, but yes. it just, yes. I don't know. It, it taps into a weird thing. Totally. And I also, cause I was listening to a recent episode you guys did on sleep and I, I am so sleep sensitive. Like I, I know I'm a totally different person, like without enough sleep versus mm-hmm. enough sleep. So I, I'm always like working to have a more consistent sleep pattern. But then I do notice sometimes, you know, on a day when you have a really early flight or something and your sleep is just super messed up, I will notice like my brain kind of thinks in a more interesting way if I'm super sleep deprived. And then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this isn't good. Like, wait, I could be like having way better ideas if I just have a much more unhealthy life. <laughs> <laughs> I agree though there are yeah. like, weird hours of the night where yes, it's like you happen yeah. to be up at 3 a.m for some reason and you're like wow I cannot turn my brain off right now but yeah. this is also not sustainable <laughs> yeah it's almost like a version of being on a drug or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. The high thoughts when you're not high. Those are my favorite. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes I remember though that I am high. I'm like, oh, I forgot I did that. Um, <laughs> to take that out of all. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm glad the Pomodoro method worked. I wish it worked better for me because I, like when I hear the alarm, I'm just like, fuck you. I know that's not a real deadline. A real uh, alarm. Yes. I'm like, God damn it. I wish. Sometimes, yeah. it, does, sometimes it does work. Um, yeah. when, when did you know that you wanted to pursue a career in comedy and how did the people around you react to that? I I mean I was interested in comedy I think starting in high school in terms of being like oh this is like actually something you can pursue but I I'm sort of the generation that grew up uh absorbing comedy pre-youtube and like pre the internet so it wasn't quite as like widely uh understood that like anyone can do this and like it's it's like all you have to do is pick up your phone and like record a video or something but I I think I just something about it appealed to me. And, you know, I, I felt like I could be funny just like around friends, but I was never like the class clown or anything. So I saw it was more like one of those back burner dreams where I was like, okay, this is something I like, but I don't know like what my entry point would be. And then I just tried an open mic. Like I still am sort of like, how did I do that? Looking back on it, but I tried an open mic, like a friend and I were home from college for the summer and we were like, let's just try to go up one time, like before we go back to school. 
And we both like agreed to do it. And I remember my first time was like my birthday. So I was like, I mind that where I was just like, it's my birthday, please laugh. You know, like whatever, whatever, (laughs) whatever I can do to like garner sympathy out of these people. And it went, it went well enough that I think I was like, oh, wow. Like I didn't even, I had not even considered the fact that I might like want to do it again. Um, But I didn't pursue it regularly until after college. Um, yeah, because I think I was still just like, I can't believe this is something I could do like, like full time. It just seemed so like one of those like imagined fairy tale careers. Yeah. 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 That's such a funny hack to starting stand up is like start <laughs> on your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> like people will probably be because I think that's half the battle is if the first time if it goes well enough to just make you feel that you want to try it again it's huge that first time is I think so important it is because then it's like you know you might have a year where it's like you're pretty bad the whole oh yeah yeah yeah. I mean yeah so you're right you just need that like first uh hit yeah yeah Or you can keep telling people it's your first time, the first oh. like 20 times. And oh, like, yeah. oh, good job. Is. So proud of you. <laughs> that is a good answer. I may have done that a few times. <laughs> no, you, yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta figure out whatever methods. Oh my God. Um, so in your book, you talk about that you have named your depression Brenda. And <laughs> which is so fucking funny uh can you talk about Brenda and and your experience with her and how she shows up in your life yeah so interestingly like I was first diagnosed with depression like in college and I I was also struggling with like an eating disorder at the time and I think sometimes like this happens for people where where, like the eating disorder or whatever the other dysfunctional behavior you have is just kind of a mask for depression or like something else you're going through. And that was sort of the case for me, like the eating habits were kind of a way of avoid avoiding the depression. And so I had to take time off from school and sort of work on that. And that was actually when I first, um, I think, considered that I could try stand up to begin with, because I went on antidepressants for the first time. And I don't know, there's this like honeymoon period when you're first on antidepressants, where it is this weird it's almost like getting glasses when you have, you know, not been able to see like perfectly clearly where you're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know you could like experience life in this register. Like, you know, like everything looks brighter, people seem nicer. And I think that honestly, that little boost is probably what first gave me the confidence to even try stand up because I was so like suddenly open to like what my life could be in a way that I hadn't been for so long. And I had been in such a rut and so stuck. So I think, yeah, I think weirdly, like I I could thank my depression for like leading me to stand up. But but I think it's also like having a depressive brain that that kind of can make it really hard sometimes as a as a chosen path. Mm. When did you know that you needed to seek help for that? Or like, when did you know that it's OK, it's time for, you know, to see somebody or antidepressants or was there anything that kind of happened? leading up to that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I was like struggling with um, restrictive eating and like anorexic behavior. And I think I it got to a point where I was like trying to address it at school, but it just wasn't working. So I had to, yeah, take time off. And, and I went to like, you know, an outpatient treatment center. And, and that was where like, you know, they pair you with a therapist and a psychiatrist. And that's where I sort of was able to put a name to what was going on. But it, yeah, it did feel like there were other people at the treatment center who were like a lot more resistant to being there. And I do feel like maybe I was different in the sense that I like knew something was wrong and I wanted to address it. And I wasn't like, the way I'm doing it is working. And I'm like, everything's fine. Like I was like, I wanted to like live a different way than I was. Mm, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Um. Can you share your thoughts on the concept of making art about nothing? Yeah, I, so I think, you know, I started comedy in DC and um, I feel like it's a pretty, it's a pretty good city to start comedy in that you're, it's a good scene. There's a good amount of stage time, but you're kind of under the radar as opposed to like a more industry city like New York or LA or 
yeah. Uh, so I think it's like a good place to find your feet and figure out your voice. And, but I was like, you know, when I started, I was, there weren't that many other women of color. It was still like primarily straight dudes and a lot of, you know, white men. And I think I noticed that their comedy would be sort of about just like day-to-day observations and stuff. But it felt like if you were a certain race or you had like sort of one specific identity that made you stick out, people would kind of expect you to talk about that or like address it in some way, or that would be kind of your whole angle on everything. And I never really approached comedy that way, not intentionally, but I just like, I'm, I'm a very like introverted person. And I always like, like the stuff that's going on in my head is very not much about my outer identity. So I think I would just talk about that and people would always be like, Oh, that's so refreshing. Like you're a woman of color, but you like, don't really rely on that. And so I think it made me have a weird relationship to like wanting to talk about, you know, being a woman or being a woman of color where I was like, is that bad then to like bring it up at all? Like it sort of made me feel like I was being praised for not talking about that stuff. But then I was like, but is that kind of, am I like undermining myself by not mentioning it at all? So I feel like I had to kind of come to my own understanding of like, no, it's fine to talk about like whatever you want to talk about. And it's like other people putting on you what that means or what that doesn't mean. Again, it's like none of my business. Yeah. 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 I don't know about you, but I am overwhelmed with ideas for things every single day, whether it's jokes, TV show ideas, (laughs) books, podcast, whatever, over overwhelmed. Do you feel that way? Like, is there a certain way that you organize and like, prioritize and implement your creative ideas or projects in your life I wish there was (laughs) please stop asking for a friend and a friend is me I'm like you can specialize in talking to people who seem to know what they're doing maybe you could help me because I I don't I have several like abandoned google docs with just like one (laughs) sentence and I'm just like what did this mean um just like a weird communication for my past self, but I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's constantly like a battle of like, what do I prioritize? My new thing is just being like, okay, right now you can only focus on like two things. What are those two things going to be? Cause otherwise it's just like, yeah, like I work on something for five minutes and then I forget about it completely. Um, so I like for me now it's kind of, cause I am a perfectionist. So it's kind of just being like, you can only handle so much at once. Like some people are multitasking geniuses, but I I need like one task given to me and like just finish this and then you can move on to your next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. I resonate with that a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Same. This is a lot of perfectionism that we've been battling over the years on the podcast and it's a tough one. Uh, are there a couple like main takeaways that you hope people have from reading your book? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just uh, airing um, a lot of the feelings that you guys talk about on your podcast that are like messy or uglier, like, you know, jealousy or shame or like comparing or perfectionism where it is kind of messy. And it's not always like, you know, like I feel like on social media, there is this whole, I feel like, the conversation with like mental health has been really opened up and a lot of these things have been really opened up, but I still feel like engaging with it online and like reading a meme that really resonates with you or something is still not the same as like actually talking to your friend that like maybe brings up some insecurity you have. Like those conversations are a lot less clean and like you both might walk away feeling a little weird. And I think I I just, yeah, I just, I guess in the book, I was kind of trying to capture just like how messy real life is and how it isn't just like you name it and now you know it and now you move on and (laughs) yeah, go get it girl boss, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's sort of an ongoing negotiating of yourself and like, you know, two steps forward, three steps back, like it never fully ends. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Has there been any points in your career where you kind of felt like hopeless, whether it was like work felt inconsistent or there was low revenue months. So you felt like this is never going to be my reality of being able to do this stuff full time or just anything like that. And how did you like care for yourself and help yourself out of that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think with the low periods, it really is like trying to, for me, it's like trying to broaden the world outside of, again, if it's like the insecurity is particularly around career or relationship, like just trying to remember the world is bigger than that one thing. And like, you know, either whether that's relationships outside of work or, or I mean, I found as I've gotten older, like really it is like spending time with people you love is ultimately just the best out of everything. So I, I think just remembering those things, like the small things are kind of what keeps the big picture like in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's such a and, and 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 those little periods are like they are going to come and especially like for me with like depression and anxiety like there are just times like I mean I I have like especially worse anxiety and depression before my period and so I know like no matter what every month like a certain week is gonna suck <laughs> uh and just like l- remembering that that's like just gonna be that week and uh, like what knowing that how am I gonna like deal with it or am I just gonna be kinder to myself while that's happening rather than being like why do you have the worst brain (laughs) yeah 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 do you speaking of that sort of thing uh, do you ever feel like you have PMDD or have you been seen yeah I mean I that is what yeah 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 okay that is what I struggle with yeah okay it feels so hard to know because when you have PM, let's just say it's regular PMS, those feelings do like they're noticeable. And so I've always had trouble differentiating between what is PMS and what is PMDD when you can't yeah. have somebody else's experience, like you only know your own. I feel like it's, it's hard to yeah. quantify between like you and a friend if you're just talking about it, how anxious somebody feels or how depressed somebody feels you know? Yeah, no, that's so true. Because it is like such a, a, I don't know, it's, it can be so such a gray area of like, what when does it cross the line into this other thing? And yeah, for me, I just found like, as I got a little older, I would just notice like, my mood would get like significantly worse, mm-hmm. like in the 10 days leading up to my period, or like my ability to concentrate or like just my irritability would like there would be like a distinct shift yeah. in like how I was doing before. Cause I know what you mean. It's like that mood stuff can be like all over the place yeah. all the time where it's just like a situational thing or yeah. Uh, yeah. So sometimes it can be hard to chart, but it did feel like a big enough distinction. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's goddamn hormones. <laughs> it's so fucked hard. up. So unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I know we could, we could probably do an entire other episode oh, with you fish. on that stuff. Cause that's been a big topic with me the past year. It's just hormone. It's, IUD, yeah. Those sort of things. It's just like crazy how much it can really impact you. Like that yeah. if it is a large chunk of the month, it's like, God damn, you feel like the second you're done with it, it's right back to it again. Yeah. And that's like another one of those things too, where there's like, not that we aren't able to have those conversations, but sometimes I do feel shame where I'm like, people are like, oh, they hate being told like as women, like we're so emotional, we're so irrational. And I'm like, sometimes I do feel like I don't, like I feel like someone else is controlling my body and my mind and I cannot explain my behavior. And I'm sorry, but that like, I don't trust myself either. So I don't know what you want to do with that information yeah it's so hard it's like hard to feel grounded in your own body when it's literally changing all all the time yes like every single month it goes through this variety of shit and you're somehow trying trying to feel centered on a daily basis like yeah what the fuck yeah it's just like an uphill battle always no um I am dying to know about your perspective just because you've mentioned you know anxiety depression imposter syndrome how do you feel about the idea or concept of fame does it freak you out does it excite you do you feel neutral about it just being in this industry of entertainment yeah I uh, surprise surprise another thing I have a love-hate relationship (laughs) with um yeah because I think you know a lot of us get into these creative professions or like especially stand-up there is a part of like you feel seen when people like laugh at your jokes or like connect with you and so I I think that is what is gratifying about it to me is like being able to like translate the inside of my head to other people and have them like understand and relate to it but then I also you know I'm kind of a shy person and introverted so sometimes like engaging with those same people after the show is like no I can't like I don't 
I just put me like back in my cave or whatever, um, <laughs> you know, like it, it feels like I want like the best of both. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to like deal with, with any, anything in between, but yeah, I, I do. I constantly struggle with like wanting attention. And then when I get it, just being like, Oh, this is not what I wanted though. Like this is cause you know, when you, when people's eyes are on you, not everyone's going to like you, not everyone's going to like have things to say that you want to hear. So I think it's like, again, I, I am trying to espouse that the quote I said earlier where I really like I don't read comments I don't read like yeah. reviews like I'm just like I maybe that makes me like, like weak willed or something but it just no, my, no. my brain will like take a little thing and just like run with it so I'm like it's better I just don't know yeah yeah, um, yeah. I feel the same completely <laughs> yeah. yeah I feel like I had a mentality for a while that I needed to force myself to read totally. comments totally. because it was going to give me a thicker skin and then it would make things easier going forward. And I've just learned for myself that it's like, n- there is nothing that is ever going to make me used to somebody saying something mean online. Like yeah. it will always hurt my feelings. It will, yeah. I, yeah. I just think I will always feel sensitive to that. And yeah, I'm not sure that inundating myself with every comment on the internet is, is the right way to go. And it's also just remembering that, like, I don't know, even when I have a judgmental thought about someone else, it is like, you know, what they say, it's like, sometimes that's a reflection of some insecurity you're feeling about yourself. So then it's like, all these people online, like, who even knows what their intentions are with like writing this thing, and you're only getting like one little sliver of information about where it's coming from, who's saying it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it's not fair to like, then just be like, okay. You're right. I I do have a weird voice or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I I was just listening to another podcast uh where a comedian had deleted or he had hired somebody to do his social media so he doesn't see it anymore. And that I believe he had a meeting with was it with Instagram and um I'm probably butchering this but that the science behind why social social media is bad for you isn't necessarily because you're seeing the negative comments. It, there's something very detrimental detrimental about seeing the positive comments because it's yeah. giving you that chemical rush that is also not normal to be feeling yeah. that all the time. And then you start to get used to wanting that all the time. Yeah. So I, thought, I thought that was kind of interesting to be like, oh yeah, it's not even the bad ones that are always oh, going to put you in a weird yeah. mood. Yeah. And I, I've like been pretty conscious with myself about stepping away from checking it like I'll post now even less than I used to but I won't like scroll anymore I like won't really look at other people's things and you know there there are downfalls to that you feel like you're out of the loop sometimes you don't know like what what is going on you have to hear it like third party from someone else but but it is like I don't know it just feels like it has cleared up a lot of just noise in my brain that was hard for me to be able to like comb through without yeah losing focus very easily yeah I think a little over two years ago now I deleted all my soul like permanently deleted all my social media and I it helped me mentally so much yeah but it's still a gray area there's still a little FOMO and weirdness around it and it's like just nothing nothing is all good or all bad it's all just right smack dab in the middle and it's like I left stand up. I deleted my social media. I made myself way, way less visible. And that didn't feel good either. So it's like this cons for me, it's like constantly trying to figure out like, okay, how do I be seen enough to get, do the things that I like to do for my career, but not so out there that I feel like I'm inundated with all these different opinions and, you know, all different angles. So it's just like a constant struggle. I feel like is there anything that you wish you would have known earlier about, I don't know, like if you could go back in time and tell yourself when you were first starting in this like creative career path or unconventional career path, like what do you wish you would have known earlier? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think probably there is no, like, I mean, it's always easier to say this on the other side of it, but, but really like, nothing you get or achieve is going to like you know solve everything for you or like fix everything yeah but like but I understand that it's like 
I've been, I remember being on the other side of it. And it's like, well, easy for you to say, you know, like you're not, you know, trying to like figure everything out, but it just like, yeah, I feel like some of my lowest points weirdly have been like when I was, you know, on paper doing the best or like killing it, like career wise, where it's just like, I think the fact that everyone's like, oh my God, you got so much going on and you don't feel different inside is such a like alienating feeling where you're like, but I don't feel better, you know, where you're just like, wait, am I just like, is success like not for me? Like, do I just have to keep like seeking forever? But I think it's just remembering that that's like one layer of your life. And it's not like always getting to the core of like what's going on with you. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is so well put. Especially because in this business, if you are not doing it full time, a lot of the time it means you're working a job you don't want to be working. Yeah. And there's just, there's such desperation in those early years when you're pursuing an unconventional, unconventional career where you just want so badly for there to be one thing that really will change your life. And at least in standup, it's just not like that anymore. It's not you don't do the right. tonight show once and then get a sitcom it's just, right it is so much more there are a million doors that you have to walk through first yeah and just remembering that like once you, you know your dream becomes like your reality or whatever like you're still a human you're still gonna have bad days you're still gonna have days where you're like oh like fuck this you know like I, I don't <laughs> want to be here or whatever and remembering that that's like normal and it's like okay if not every day you're like I'm just so grateful for all of this and <laughs> I'm the luckiest girl in the world you know like it's okay you're still yeah. a person in the world and the world is hard life is can be a struggle yeah, yeah still work yeah it's still yes. Works. yes 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 so like let's say that you got a phone call tomorrow and it was a, the biggest opportunity of your career to date whatever that means for you and mm. you felt the imposter syndrome kicking in really quickly what would you do for yourself? Are there certain exercises or go-to things that would help you kind of show up <laughs> as comfortably as possible for that yeah. opportunity? I mean, I've noticed for myself, like I, I've talked to friends about it where even when I get good news, I'm like the period where I actually enjoy it before like the worry comes in or like the, oh my God, I'm going to get fired or whatever it is, is like sometimes like you know, within like two minutes, like one minute, I'll be excited. And the next minute, I'll be like, Oh, my God, why did they pick me? Like, I'm so in over my head. So I think now I've just made such a conscious effort, even if it doesn't always work, like just kind of faking it for myself, where I like, if something good happens, or even like a tiny thing where it's like, Oh, my gosh, this person I really respect said something nice to me after a show, like just forcing myself to like sit with it for a second and be like, that's really nice like that is like a moment that you should celebrate that it happened or you know you had this cool uh moment of connection with a barista or whatever it is like like it it feels like it's so easy for me to focus on the the big bad things or the things I didn't get and I, I like forget that there are all these like tiny nice things happening all the time and really like forcing myself to acknowledge them and like appreciate that they happened yeah yeah that's a great one that's such a good reminder definitely is there any any other questions you have Kels I don't think so how about you Del you've answered all of mine is there like is there anything else that you would want somebody to know who's tuning in who is kind of going through a low period whether it's personally professionally things just aren't feeling like they're working out the way that they want is there anything that you'd like to say to that person yeah I would say I don't know, like just being nicer to yourself. I think it's so easy to uh, compound like being in a low place, but then being harder on yourself for like not figuring it out or not snapping out of it. And I just think like at least if you can meet yourself in a place where a friend would, where they just like are coming to you with a sense of like, this is hard and I I know this sucks right now. Like just also being able to meet yourself there a little bit, I think it can just give you a little bit of space that can feel really important in those times. Yes. Love it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Huge. Speaking of things to like celebrate for yourselves, huge congratulations on your book. That's really, really amazing. Yes. Where can people find you, your book, all that good stuff. 
Okay, so my website is apurnacomedy.com and that sort of links to tour dates, book info, social media. So it, that feels like a good place to start. Fabulous. Yeah. Amazing. Well, well thank it was you. Great talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, what a fun conversation. Fun, deep, all the things. Like yeah. I I especially enjoyed just asking her questions from somebody who like left stand up and her weird kind of like love hate relationship with it yeah yeah she's such a sweetheart that was just fun to to talk to her and my gosh she has accomplished so much her credits are bananas so it's it's very cool that she found like a way to integrate that in a way that makes sense for her you know like what she wants her lifestyle to be that's very inspiring yeah yeah so remember, go pick up her book, Unreliable Narrator. It is out tomorrow, September 19th. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you have a segment, Del? I do. I had to have a good shit. Um, right. So it's the it's my favorite time of the year, um, Fishmas, which is my made-up family holiday. Fishmas? <laughs> yes. We, uh, so I celebrate it with, um, my, my dad and my stepmom and my siblings. Um, but it, it, we, we burst it during the pandemic. We were all just like, it was summertime. It was sad and uncertain and all this stuff. And we're like, let's just fucking throw a Christmas party. And so we got out decorations and we did a secret Santa, like all this stuff. Um, and we have just kept that tradition for the last, I don't know, three plus years now. Um, yeah, three years, probably maybe even longer. When was that? 2020, 2020 was the pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, and I, I love it. We, um, we listen to Christmas music. We eat sub sandwiches. We, uh, (laughs) have chai tea lattes. We dress up. Uh, like somebody in our family. So oh, that's we've right. Up, we've dressed up as my dad and my brother this year is one of my sisters. Um, we exchange a secret Santa gift with each other that has some really ridiculous rule. Like you have to get something that the person like wouldn't probably like, like opposite of their personality. Oh, yeah. Just like really silly, dumb things. And we come up with new rules and like traditions every single year. And I fucking love it. I fucking love oh. it. But we, yeah, we celebrate on August 25th every year uh I so love that yeah it's just like it's just so fun and silly and uh everybody like brings a lot of just creativity to it we play a lot of board games we there's some day drinking involved i mean it's Hell all yeah. uh it's a, just a good time and uh it's just yeah it's like reminds me like yeah you can you can make your own traditions like you can make your own family traditions Absolutely. You can do whatever the fuck you want, you know? Yeah. So Merry Fishmas to everybody. Merry Fishmas one and all. by the time this airs, we will have set- celebrated it last month. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> I think it's so great. You guys have such a special family. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. sweet. Yeah, you guys are the Aww. best people. I feel very lucky to have spent time around you guys as a family. Oh, that's so nice. Oh, yeah, we spent Christmas together. Yeah. That one that was so nice. And yeah, then summers, at, you know, the 2020. Summers at the pool. At the pool. Yeah, yeah. Your family is the type of family that really makes you feel immediately a part of them. And it's that's such a nice thing. Oh, I will let them know. They will oh, really yeah. appreciate that. They're wonderful. That's, that's so sweet. Oh. We also bring out a Festivus poll, if anybody's wondering. Fuck yeah. Uh, throwback to, you know, sign, uh, not at Seinfeld. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, what, you, what do you got going on? <laughs> I also have a good shit. So I saw our Lord and Savior, Beyonce Christ, <laughs> saw her in concert with <laughs> one of my best friends, Jamie, and it was... Uh, it was so good, you guys. It was so good. I cried as That's soon awesome. as she came on stage. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's just so emotional because, well, first of all, I think I mentioned before the concert on a, a recent episode that people have been treating this tour, especially like it's their adult prom. There were a lot of there was a lot of artwork that came with her album, The Renaissance, a lot of really amazing outfits she wore. And so people took the themes of that and people were wearing outfits that they kind of made themselves. And, you know, Jamie and I got dressed up for it and it's, there's something so special. My God. I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about it. She, it's just crazy to me that one human can have so much influence for good. Like she really 
that stadium was full of so much love and so much just adoration of her. And when she came out and, you know, she started singing and there was a moment where she just like stopped and was looking out at the crowd and we're all screaming. And I just felt so emotional because it's like, oh my God, we are in the same room as this (laughs) person who has created so much music that is... I feel like her music is so empowering. It's very empowering, at least for me. And just makes me feel so good. Makes me feel like my, like the most badass version of myself when I listen to it. I feel like she really taps into those parts of you. And so, yeah, I was crying then. And then she, this whole tour has been bringing her daughter, Blue Ivy, out on stage with her. So hers and Jay-Z's daughter and she's she's dancing in the tour for like a a chunk of the tour and people go fucking crazy (laughs) and she's so cute she must be maybe 12 or 13 at this point and so at the end of her dancing she waves at the crowd and we're all going crazy and screaming for blue ivy and then the kid this big screen on the stage is like showing beyonce's face looking at blue ivy and i just was like just like instant tears because you know obviously all this you know all this stuff with my mom um it just to see beyonce oh my god it was like a parent couldn't look more proud of their child and it's like what a special thing that they get to experience as a mother and daughter that beyonce gets to share her crowds with her daughter and that we all just immediately love her daughter so much and oh it was oh my god it was it was really special there were so many very special moments and just the concert itself was incredible was just dancing my ass off had the best time it was it was amazing I wish I could just live that night over and over again oh I'm so glad you had a good time thank you yeah you have since I've met you you've always fucking loved Beyonce since day one I've met you she is I love I'm not You've religious. Seen her several times, right? This is You've my her... that was my fifth time. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow, I don't think I've ever seen an artist that many times live. No. Yeah. The, the was... most I've ever seen was Tenacious D, and I've seen them three times. Hold on, maybe it's my fourth. Hold on, let me think. Let me count. I saw them as Destiny. I saw her as Destiny's Child when I was in high oh. school. Okay. And then I'll, I'll allow it. And then Beyonce <laughs> and Jay Z together in Seattle. And then Be- no, it was my fourth time. I'm sorry, I misspoke. My fourth time. But yeah, oh, I've seen her a lot. Nice. I'm not a religious nice. person, but she is. I like I treat her music like she's <laughs> like it's my church. Yeah, like I. That is the the people go to church to like hear music and feel inspired and feel yeah strong and restored, and that's what her music does for me. So yes, oh, I love it. I and do. I just didn't, didn't she have an album called Lemonade? Lemonade, yes, yes, and. Uh, we haven't announced this yet, but we are officially with the Lemonada Network. So yes. This is our podcast Beyonce moment. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Lemonade, Lemonada, baby. Um, yeah. yeah. We're just, we, we haven't talked about it on the show, but we are so excited to be part of this network that with so many incredible, talk about powerful, like women and yes. powerful people and inspiring things. Um, but just all the, all the programming they have My is God. just like, life-changing stuff like the the shows I mean I'm yeah like Kelsey and I are so grateful to to be here in this like iteration of our of our podcast career so yeah I mean the the Lemonada Network we're talking like Julia Louis-Dreyfus's podcast Samantha Bee's podcast uh, Elise Myers like we're such incredible women and yeah if you guys haven't checked out their other podcasts you should we are in some seriously amazing company so yeah. yeah, we we couldn't be more excited, but um, yeah. So that was my that was my good shit. And then Chad and I are seeing I Incubus in concert tomorrow. This is like my concert week. Oh wow! And one of my other favorite, <laughs> very favorite bands. I'm sure that will be my next good shit segment is talking about how that concert went. Love it, love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we do have an iTunes review of the episode. Yeah, this is from Chell Roswell. Chell Roswell. Uh, it says, I love you guys. I'm a fan of all three of you. I'm a female comedian, artist, and entrepreneur. Awesome. Aww. You guys are awesome, honest, and helpful. Feels like listening to a conversation of three of my besties. Also going to make sure I make sure I floss. Also going to make sure I floss like a boss. So thanks for your tips, Kelsey. 
Did we talk? Did you talk about flossing yeah. on the podcast? I did. I did. I was talking about how there are when I go to the dentist, I get these really good tips. Like I think the last time I went, I got the tip of don't use the glide floss because it's too slippy. Like it doesn't grip onto oh, the things okay. that need to grip yeah. onto. And then also yeah. you can like you should slowly work it in so it doesn't like pop up into your gums because it's damaging. Yes. I've got yes. good flossing tips. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It's so funny. My my dentist just said to try to d- do the double thick floss. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... I don't know. There's a fine. lot going on that's in that fine. world. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Chell. Yeah, thank you so much for that iTunes review. Oh, and I'm glad that the flossing tips have helped. That's fabulous. Yeah, if you want to leave an iTunes review, feel free to do it. It'll probably get read on the show. I mean, yeah. really. So yeah. thank uh, you very much. Thank you. All right, guys, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and we hope you're having an awesome week so far and we'll talk to you next time. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. Yeah.